The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Hi, this is Dana Perkins, and you're listening to Switched On, the BNEF podcast. And Happy New Year, which I feel is a completely appropriate greeting for the first two weeks of January. And when I think about 2023, I have a feeling this is going to be the best year yet on this show. We're going to continue with the interviews that I do with BNEF analysts, asking them about their research and what they're learning about the energy transition. But we're also going to be mixing in even more external interviews where BNEF analysts speak with external guests that are in the industries that we cover. Today, we're going to kick off the new year with just that, an external guest, the CEO of Shell Recharge Solutions Europe, Melanie Lane. On today's show, she'll be discussing some of the biggest challenges and, of course, opportunities facing the rollout of electric vehicle charging over the next few years. Electrifying transport is a critical way to reduce emissions to meet climate goals. So what, if anything, is holding the industry back? And is there enough renewable energy supply to meet demand? And how are consumers and the EV industry dealing with range anxiety? Today's interview is conducted by Colin McCarricker. He's the head of advanced transport at BNEF. Please note that BNEF does not provide investment or strategy advice, and our full disclaimer is at the very end of the show. But now let's hear Colin and Melanie's conversation about EV charging. Thanks for joining, everyone. I'm Colin McCarricker, and I run the transport and automotive coverage at Bloomberg NEF. And today I'm joined by Melanie Lane. Melanie, you're the CEO of Shell Recharge Solutions in Europe. Shell Recharge was previously New Motion, which was founded over a decade ago in the Netherlands and then acquired by Shell in 2017. Since then, the company has been expanding its presence in the charging market, including acquiring green lots in North America. The company's footprint now includes access to a roaming network of nearly 400,000 locations across Europe. You're coming up to three years in the role, but you've been at Shell for more than 20 years in other parts of the business, including running the UK retail business, the aviation business across Europe, and various other roles. Welcome to the podcast, Melanie. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Great to have you here. So I want to jump in with something that might be a difficult question, but we may as well start with some difficult things first. Electric mobility is really taking off around the world. So we've seen EV sales go from a few percent, one, two, three percent in a lot of market. We're expecting them to hit about 13% of global vehicle sales this year. Uh, that's battery electrics and plug-in hybrids combined, but that's on this really rapid acceleration trajectory. And I guess my question is, can charging infrastructure keep up with what's happening or will it be what slows down this EV adoption story? I mean, it's such a fascinating question, isn't it? Because I often say that we are trying to do in this EV space in what, like less than five years, what it took nearly a century to do in the world of hydrocarbons. So the the effort required to achieve the targets that have been set at a global level as well as at a country level is massive. And I think that's what makes this such an exciting industry to be a part of. If we think then about the infrastructure specifically, so there are lots of things that have to come together in order for those targets to, to be realized. But if we just think about the infrastructure specifically for a, a minute, 
absolute infrastructure is going to have to match the level of growth that you just described. We're talking, so at the end of August this year, there were more than 33,000 electric vehicle charging points across the UK, which, I mean, already was 30% more than the time, the same time the year before. And there's a target to have 300,000 by 2030. And there's a huge amount of investment going into that. The trick is how to bring that to life. And I think the experience that we're seeing is it's actually really complicated. And it's really complicated because you are building out a new ecosystem. And in order to get that infrastructure up and running, it's not just about we're going to buy a charger and we're going to stick it on this piece of land. It's about the connectivity with the grid. It's around the organizations that are managing that process, not necessarily being set up for the scale of demand, the amount of requests that are coming through for the work to be done that enables the kind of expansion of the fast charging network, that ecosystem is still really in its infancy. Likewise, you've got global supply chain challenges as coming out the back of COVID, chip shortages, et cetera. You're seeing stresses both in the system around the vehicle supply, but also around the supply of the hardware itself. And so secure supply chains are super important. And then there's a whole piece around the customer experience and how to make that customer experience as seamless as possible. Because even if you're able to overcome your supply chain and your installation and your grid upgrade, the customers need to have a seamless and easy experience. For them, this is a big transition to make. And we see a lot of kind of anxiety from drivers as they're making that transition. And so as, as an industry, we need to come together to, to help them do that. So I, I think, yeah, and we can unpack all of these. I think there's some really big pieces that we're going to need to work on across the system in order to enable that infrastructure growth to keep up with, with what's needed to match that those projected number of vehicles on the road. Yeah, you touched on this, and that I think there are a lot of different moving pieces, but actually I want to come back to something you said right at the beginning of that, which is that we, we spent 100 years building out the sort of hydrocarbon, or more than 100 years building out the hydrocarbon supply chain to keep vehicles moving and on the road, and we're trying to do something new with electricity in a much shorter time frame. Let's stay on that for a minute, and how is this transition different than that in terms of building up the supply chain for hydrocarbons? Obviously, there's this time frame element. We're trying to do it faster than we did it in the past, but are there other sort of systems level differences that you think about when you compare the way it works in a molecule-based delivering molecules of gasoline or diesel to vehicles versus an electrons-based world? Is there some systems thinking there that is, is very different to you? And how does that look? Well, I think, I mean, even when our predecessors would have been building out hydrocarbon at the, uh, the very early days of building out that system, yeah, it would have been a new system that they were designing. I think what we've got now as we transition is a number of things. And this is why I think system thinking is so important. Uh, you're not just replacing a, a piece of hardware. You're talking about an end-to-end -end supply chain that is super different. And in an ideal world, you're talking about a system that can increasingly rely on sustainable power. So on-the-go charging, at-home charging, on-street charging, etc. And thinking about how that end-to-end -end system is going to flex and manage what is a massive increase in demand over the next few years. So you're building a new system, but you're also needing to build a system at scale and for peak load. And you're trying to do that very quickly. So that's kind of about the chain that you're establishing. There is other component parts. So one is around skills 
and expertise. And I go back to the comment I made before. You've got in each different market that we operate in, the grid is set up in different ways. So you have different interfaces, different entities there. But if, if you just talk about like the grid as a generic, we're talking about often national or kind of institutions that aren't necessarily used to dealing with the level of kind of commercial demand from multiple organizations of varying different sizes. It can be from a home all the way through to a large complex fleet depot. You don't have that capability inbuilt into the system at the moment. Likewise, if you look at the space of installation and commissioning, so getting the hardware and the equipment in the ground, we predict quite a big shortage, actually, of electricians in the short term, and particularly the level of qualified electricians you need to do this kind of work, again, at this kind of scale. So you've got a capability piece to the system that we need to address. You've then got a piece around the regulatory environment. By the time we got to the end of the last century, the regulatory environment, whether you're talking about payment, calibration, quality, standards, all of those things were really well bedded in and they have been built up over years of experience, multiple kind of sources of expertise. And here it's all nascent, it's emerging. And countries across Europe are taking, in some cases, consistent approaches, in some cases, slightly different approaches to how they're thinking about goods and quality and assurance and compliance. And so that is all kind of emerging and evolving as we go. Add to that, it's an ecosystem that depends on hardware, but also it's very technology dependent. So you've got the vehicle, you've got the grid, you've got your hardware infrastructure, you've got your consumer. So you're building out a new kind of software hardware ecosystem. And then the last big piece, as I said before, is consumer behavior and they play a massive role in this. So that's what I mean by systems thinking. It's not just a simple task of, okay, we're going to take out a hydrocarbon pump and we're going to go and put a charger in. Actually, you've got to think much more broadly about the system if you're going to deliver the pace of scale that we're talking about. I'll give you an example. We discovered this really early on, this whole kind of ecosystem approach. And our response to that in Europe has been within each of the shell entities that operate in market. They have set up what we've called revolution rooms, where they bring together the necessary counterparties and capabilities to fast track the rollout of infrastructure within our own network. And when you go to those rooms, if they're working in an agile way, they have outcomes every two weeks, there's reviews, every quarter there's deep dives. The amount of people that we need to draw into those rooms in order to affect change and the amount of capabilities is huge. And without bringing those people together, we wouldn't be affecting the kind of change and the kind of pace we are. So yeah, that's what I mean about system thinking and how important it is. That's really important, Melanie, because I think one of the things you mentioned there, it was around how different power markets and grids are, not just in terms of the physical infrastructure, but also in terms of the regulatory setup, the different bodies involved are in different countries. Each power system looks quite different than the one in a neighboring country. It's quite a bit more difference than you find in the hydrocarbon supply chain, which maybe looks a little bit more similar between countries than, than the power system does. So I think that's a really important point is that there are very different 
groups of people you have to have in the room to get stuff done in each country because of how varied power markets are and electrical grid infrastructure is in each country. And we're going to come back to this human resources question because everyone thinks of building posts, right? They think of getting enough posts in the ground, but maybe they don't think about all the pieces behind that or the right number of people you need trained in the right way in order to do that or the permitting requirements in order to do that. But we've jumped right into all the challenges. I want to actually now back up a bit and say, where are the brightest spots in the charging business right now? Where are you seeing the most success and what does that look like? Yeah, and I think there's a few things to highlight. So coming into lead, what was then new motion, now shall recharge solutions. One of the things you can't go past is the amount of energy and innovation that is in this space right now. And working in an organization, we have more than 600 people now just in Europe. And people that are bringing their talent to this space are fueled by real purpose and passion. And when you combine that kind of purpose and passion with deep capability, the kind of the magic you can make is huge. So I, I would really want to start with just how energizing actually it is to be at the center of what is really a generational change. And I think lots of people who work in the industry are really motivated by that fact. We are past that tipping point. This is a seismic change and resources are being put into making that happen. So I think for me, that is a massive bright spot. I think linked to that piece on of the tipping point, I think that big organizations, so your FedExes, your DHLs, your Amazons, really are fundamental to making that energy transition happen. The total cost of ownership has shifted for them and you see a lot of feeling in and collaboration and thinking through, again, how are we going to design their ecosystem so that they can transition effectively and quickly. And so when you've got organizations of that scale alongside big pieces of infrastructure, so airports, our own networks, you start to see that real momentum. This is going to happen. These are big players, really committed and really working through some quite complex solutions to make this happen. And I think that the third piece I would say that is bright spot. We have people from the UK Department for Transport as well as Amsterdam City here. In our office this week, we have an innovation lab and experience center that we call it. And they came and spent time just really listening and learning about what are the differences that we experience across different markets? What are the challenges with different hardware requirements, policy, regulation? There is a real desire, I think, or I experience to learn and, and collaborate. And I think that's brilliant. So I think actually there's a lot of bright spots across the landscape. And I think we should be super positive. It's not an if question, it's just when and how fast, really. So I'm quite encouraged. Now for a very short break. Stay with us. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com. You certainly meet a lot of people who tried an EV one five years ago and then decided to change their whole career around because they could <laughs> see it was a revolution in the way people were going to get around. And it changed their, you talk to a lot of people who had changed their whole career trajectory going for a test ride in 2016 or something. And I, I, find, I always find that fascinating in the e-mobility community, this, this real passion for the work that people are doing. 
you touched on fleets there and some of the big operators. Can you comment a bit about what you're seeing on that sort of business to business or fleet market on the charging front? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, more and more, we are seeing large fleet owners asking for support and guidance. Again, I can't say the word enough, it's collaboration. The large fleet market needs partners who can provide that kind of 360 whole ecosystem solution that they're looking for, because most of those organizations need solutions across multiple parts of that ecosystem. They need to be able to support their charging hubs with both the infrastructure that they need, the connectivity with the grid, that monitoring and operational support to keep that infrastructure optimized. I mean, this is the core of how they make the money. So that infrastructure absolutely has to work and give them the kind of quality outcomes they need. But they also, in many cases, are looking for broader solutions. So what about sustainable power? What about other kind of decarbonization solutions that we can support them with in other parts of their business? So this kind of 360 total approach They're looking for how do their drivers charge when they're out on the road. They're looking for, well, maybe my drivers need charges in the home environment as well. So they're looking for partners who can help them solutionize across all of those different pieces. And our job really is to make all of that as simple as possible. And over time, there'll be all sorts of different innovations that you start to add to that, especially around optimizing power, thinking about how we manage the demand on the grid, thinking about battery storage, solar, et cetera. That ecosystem will continue to build out and grow. Yeah, we're definitely seeing a lot more activity on the commercial vehicle front, just in terms of sales. A lot of it mostly in the smaller vehicles, so vans and small trucks. But we're actually starting to see more of the big truck makers launching electric models, whether that's Volvo or Daimler or Tesla planning to bring it semi to market. Do you see the solutions that Shell offers ending up going all the way up to like heaviest vehicles doing really fast charging a longer route? Yeah, and to your point, we've actually been working with some of the brands you just mentioned with some of their vehicles actually in our labs, looking at how do you provide the infrastructure for that profile of a vehicle? We can see exactly the same thing. That's really picking up. Yeah, there's something else we've been noting in the market. And when we look at a lot of the public charging networks for fast charging, we're noticing that a lot of the prices are rising and in some cases quite dramatically. We did some analysis just recently showing that in a lot of cases, you're depending on the network in the country, it varies a fair bit. But in Europe, you're often getting fast public fast charging ending up being pretty similar in terms of cost per kilometer, cost per mile driven to refueling with gasoline or petrol or diesel as well. Now, a lot of people still might do 80%, 90% or more of their charging at home and very occasionally use those public chargers. But I guess the question I want to ask is the fact that some public charging prices are rising up to the point where they're comparable with petrol or diesel on a per kilometer driven basis. Is that a problem for the market? And I guess, do you think that comes back down? Does it slow adoption? Just anything you can comment on some of those rising prices and the dynamics it might cause? Obviously, there's a lot of volatility in the world that impact prices throughout the system. And I wouldn't want to comment specifically on, on pricing or forecasts or anything else. But if we just think about behavior, what we see and are quite confident with is that EV adoption is going to continue to grow. So I think when it comes to making a switch to whether that is at a company level or whether that's an individual level, that total cost of ownership is super important, whether you're a driver or whether you're an organization. And so clearly the fact that there is a lot of volatility in the world at the moment is something that brings into sharp focus that total cost of ownership. That said, 
we feel very confident that the overall trajectory of EV adoption is set. Will you have maybe some ups and downs or maybe a slight slowdown because of a variety of factors, partly the volatility, but also, for example, we talked before about supply chain stability, maybe, but the overall trajectory we think is kind of set and that adoption is going to continue at a fast pace moving into the future. It seems like some of these things that are driving up electricity costs, it, some of the same things are also driving up costs of gasoline and diesel or pushing more energy security concerns. We're living through a very complex time and I agree, it's very hard to predict what happens next, but certainly we agree with you at BNEF that the die is a bit cast in terms of EV adoption, though there are going to be some bumps in the road on different things. Can you talk a little bit about this grid connection issue that you start to hear more about in charging infrastructure? Can you get enough grid connection capacity? Can you get it done fast enough? Can you get them in the right places where you want to put chargers? Just anything you can comment on that side of the equation of getting all these things hooked up to the grid? So I think, again, it differs by market. So certainly if you look across Europe, the processes that different government ecosystems have in place vary. If you look at the Netherlands, the, the penetration of on-street charging is far ahead of many other markets, for example. There are indeed differences in the maturity of different countries, different cities in getting the infrastructure set up and running, particularly in the public domain. And I think if you look at the Netherlands, for example, the penetration of on-street parking is far in excess of many other countries or, or the UK. And so it, it, there are differences. But as a general rule, as you see the level of demand growing, whether that is from big pieces of infrastructure, so like depot hubs, for example, or whether it's on street or whether it's even individual homes and communities, all of that needs to be channeled through a set of, let's call it grid operators, to be just generic in our use of terminology across Europe. And we need to make sure that the permitting processes, the resourcing and the requirements are made as simple as possible. So I'll give you an example. If you're trying to provide sufficient level of power to a highway site, for example, because you need to put in a number of fast chargers and you need a greater amount of power capacity going into that site. In order to get that set up, you might have a 10 month lead time in order to get the approvals needed, both from the commercial entity that's investing in the hardware, the landlord that owns the property, the, the hardware is being installed on, as well as the, the permit providers on the grid side. That can take months, literally months. And so if you extrapolate that from kind of one site across multiple networks, across multiple markets, we need a significant shift in resourcing and ways of working and how we think about the system to get that infrastructure, not just in place, but up and running. We're going to need some changes there. I think this is one of the issues that seems to be coming up in multiple places. And I guess the thing I'm always wondering about is, do the costs go up as we add more and more charging points or do they go down? Most things, as we do more of them, the costs go down, but getting additional grid capacity, maybe some of the easy spots get tapped out and then you get to harder spots. Is there any trend you can comment on there? Are the costs of getting new sites connected, permitted, connected to the grid, is that going up or down or staying the same or any dynamics you can comment on there? So I think there's a few things packed into that. If you take apart the different pieces, we've got hardware, which is a piece. 
Hardware over time will undoubtedly become more commoditized. There will be more suppliers. Our understanding of how to produce high quality, consistent hardware will increase as experience increases. So yeah, over time, hardware will likely become more cost competitive. We talked before about labor, installation capability and kind of level of engineering resources that you need to facilitate this level of change. You know, that's going to be another driver of cost. And that will, again, be about supply demand, right? So do we have sufficient capacity in order to do all the work that's required? Or is that a bottleneck? If there's a bottleneck across the industry, then that will also be a factor. Certainly at a general level, these are big investments that are being made and will take multiple years to pay back. And so I think both governments and private organizations already trying to think differently about those investment cases and how to make the case for that early investment, recognizing that it's going to take some time to fully pay back. And I think yeah, that's what I was talking before about. We need to think creatively about the business models, about how we work together in that ecosystem to make sure there are the right incentives to go as fast as possible. Yeah. And are there any big policy levers you're watching that you think might accelerate that, whether that's in the UK or in the rest of Europe? Is there anything on the policy front you're watching carefully now? Yeah, there's a few pieces. I think regulations around smart charging and so the ability. So as you roll out that ecosystem, whether it's business on the go or at home, the ability for smart charging to help manage that demand on the grid is an increasing area of policy focus. There will likely be more requirements on the public charge points specifically aimed at kind of ease of use, contactless payment, consistent protocols across the network. That's a sign of a maturing industry. And obviously there's a lot of discussion around the relationship between the consumer, the car, which is a piece of technology in its own right, and the charging infrastructure and how data is moved and owned and shared between those entities. So that's another area of interest and focus with policymakers. And then I think lastly, there's a piece around just consistency. And when I say consistency around both consumer and also quality. So again, you've got a big growth market, lots of new suppliers trying to meet consumer needs in slightly different ways. And necessarily there will need to be some standardization around what good looks like, what quality and what standards would we expect across that network. So I think there are some specific areas of our policy that we look at and we would expect to continue to evolve. Interoperability would be the other obvious one across networks and across countries. That's really helpful. Sort of smart charging, ease of use, and then the relationship between the car, the consumer, and the charging infrastructure and the flow of data, and also that sort of consistency and quality perspective across all of it, all the areas you're watching yeah. on the policy front. Now for a very short break. Stay with us. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. If you had one request to policymakers or to other stakeholders in the charging infrastructure or e-mobility business, what would that request be? 
I think the request would be twofold, would be collaboration and working with us within the right timeframes to deliver the vision that I think we're all aspiring to deliver. I think there is there are real pockets of expertise and knowledge across the industry, but it is still nascent. And to build out the right policy frameworks is going to take really listening and learning from those pockets of expertise to make sure that the policy frameworks that are developed are robust and are sustainable for the long term and don't inadvertently create barriers to scale and to growth. I think that's really helpful. And that's certainly a common thread across what you've been saying is that the need to get everyone together to, to ensure you're doing things both effectively and efficiently, given the timeframes that we're trying to do this transition on. I have one last question, Mel. We talked on it earlier about the kind of passion and drive that is common amongst the community of people working around e-mobility. Do you have any reflections on that coming from other parts of Shell? Is there something Shell Recharge can learn from the rest of the broader Shell business and vice versa? Is there something that the broader Shell mm -hmm. business can learn from Shell Recharge? This is one of the most motivating parts of what I do. And I have such a strong belief in the power of the big and the small coming together and being able to leverage respective strengths. I think when you're looking at what Shell has deep experience and expertise in, you're talking about brand, you're talking about deep supply chain expertise, delivery, deep relationships with customers all across the world, backed by real customer insight strong relationships with regulators, the ability to drive change and transformation in complex systems at scale. Like that's what Shell has grown up doing over the last hundred years. And that is what this industry needs. At the same time, we've acquired a number of smaller entities. We're one of them. And they bring a lot of kind of purpose-driven ease. Uh, so people have joined these companies for a reason. It's not for a job, it's because they believe in an outcome, they believe in the purpose. And I think that kind of energy is super motivating. I think we are bringing tech and product capabilities and more agile ways of working that have been far easier to instill in a small organization where you're working on a kind of daily, weekly, bi-weekly sprint basis to deliver outcomes much faster then sometimes it's possible, right? In a large, big corporate enterprise. And so if you can marry those two, two things together, I think it's a super powerful combination. And it's one of the things that is probably the most exciting about the role that I do at the moment. That is really exciting, Mel. And definitely the idea of being able to move at scale with the support of a big organization behind you while still maintaining some of that dynamism is certainly a big part of what's needed to get things going and accelerating as they need to do. Thank you so much, Mel. It's been great to speak to you today. Thanks so much for coming on the program and talking to us about the outlook for charging infrastructure and your role within it and what you're happening in the next few years. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. Today's episode of Switched On was edited by Rex Warner of Greystoke Media. Bloomberg NEF is a service provided by Bloomberg Finance LP and its affiliates. This recording does not constitute nor should it be construed as investment advice, investment recommendations, or a recommendation as to an investment or other strategy. Bloomberg NEF should not be considered as information sufficient upon which to base an investment decision. Neither Bloomberg Finance LP nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this recording and any liability of this recording is expressly disclaimed.
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.